0: with a quick prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask that you help us engage our minds to understand your truths from this reading and from Pastor Mike's sermon. Amen. The resurrection of Christ. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. And this is the word of the Lord.
1: My hands full here today. Well, it is good to be home. Good to be with you. I was away last weekend. Uh, Thursday, my younger son, Mark and I went up to uh, Crescent City just near the Oregon border there for his uh, basketball tournament. I have a picture of these uh, boys here if this is coming up. Yeah, so we were right near the Oregon border. What do a bunch of uh, junior high boys do in a storm in the freezing cold ocean? They go in the water, uh, right? So this was uh, just uh, last weekend. And then on our way back from Crescent City on this tournament, this basketball tournament, the team dropped us off uh, near Mount Shasta where my older son had a ski race. And so uh, really sweet times uh, this last weekend, but it is a good to be with you today and worshiping the Lord and having Matthew with us. Um, it's, it's, it's always good to be home in your home church. I heard that from someone already this morning that's been gone for a few weeks. Well, we have been journeying through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we got to hear the sermon last week on our drive back from uh, Mount Shasta. And Pastor Adam last week finished up chapters... 12 through 14. This section, chapters 12 through 14, Paul has been dealing with spiritual gifts. And the problem in the ancient Corinthian church was that many of the people in that church had the gift of speaking in tongues in a prayer language, which is the one gift to be used in your prayer closet at home. It is the one gift that doesn't edify the body, that isn't for the common good, And they were utilizing this gift in the gathered assembly on Sundays. And and people were not being loved. And people were felt excluded that didn't have that gift. And so Paul, in chapters 12-14, through is reminding them that spiritual gifts are for the common good of the body. And their purpose is to edify and to build up, with the exception of this one gift, that edifies yourself when you're at home praying. In the middle of that section, chapter 13... We have the most famous, one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. Paul reminds uh, the ancient Corinthian church again that their that their spiritual gift, whatever their spiritual gifts are, that they must arise, they must come out of love, and they were not coming out of love. They were coming out of a sense of pride and in this cool uh, exercise of this gift in the gathered body, and so he's reminding them of love. So now today we finally come uh, now to chapter fifteen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And what Paul is doing here is he is reminding the Corinthian church, and he's reminding us also of the gospel. Not too dissimilar from what he did in chapter 13. Reminding them of this foundation of love. All spiritual gifts must flow out of love for God and love for one another. And now he's reminding them of the gospel. And he is reminding us of the gospel. One of the reasons, one of my objectives today is for us to understand that the gospel is not just the entry point to the Christian life, but the gospel is a guide for us to live out and grow to maturity in the Christian life. Uh, One uh, commentator, uh, Timothy Keller, he writes this. He says, we never get beyond the gospel to something more advanced. The gospel is not the first step in a stairway of truths, rather it is more like the hub in a wheel of truth. The gospel is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is not the minimum required doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom, but the way we make all progress in the kingdom. So my desire today as we go through this sermon is that you would be able to understand what he's talking about here and why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 describes the gospel as of first importance. So in short, this sermon today is about why the gospel is of first importance. So let's get into it now. Uh, Hopefully you have your Bibles open still to 1 Corinthians 15. If you don't, grab one in the chairs in front of you as we go through this uh, verse by verse beginning at verse 1. So Paul writes this, Now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So again, we have this reminder, this new section, Now, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, all of you that are part of the church in Corinth and all of us here, I want to remind you of the gospel. This is the gospel that Paul preached to them. They received it. They've taken their stand on it. And they were saved by it. Now, in the latter part of verse 2, we have somewhat of a, a, it can be a controversial uh, verse here and a controversial idea where he says, uh, this gospel, you were saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. So what is he getting at here? So this raises this whole issue of can a believer lose his or her salvation? How firmly do I need to hold to this gospel in order to make it to the end? And I want to suggest that we do not lose our salvation and we shouldn't be too nervous about how tightly we're holding on to uh, the gospel. In other words, we shouldn't be so nervous that I'm not sure I'm going to make it today because I have sinned. Sin is an unfortunate but normal part of the Christian life. Uh, anybody experience that? Yeah, we've experienced that. So when we sin, we shouldn't feel like all of a sudden I have abandoned the gospel and my salvation is going away. Philippians 1.6 helps us understand what Paul is referring to here at the beginning Of 1 Corinthians 15, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If God saves you, if the Holy Spirit does a miraculous work in you, the Bible says that will carry on. Genuine believers persevere to the end. Do we backslide? Do we sin? Do we have seasons in our lives, some of us, where we fall away for extended periods of time? We do. But if the Holy Spirit has done a work in us, we will persevere. And Paul is simply reminding the Corinthians of this. Make sure you are one who knows Jesus and loves him. And you will persevere. You will hold tightly to the word. All right, so uh, back uh, back to our text here. Uh, We're looking at verses 1 through 7 first. And in verse 3 is where we get this phrase of first importance. Look at verse 3 with me. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you, passed on to you, Corinthian church, as of first importance. Okay, this is huge. We don't read this in the Bible in every chapter. What is about to come is of first importance. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. So in the last part of this section, verses 1 through 7, Paul is emphasizing the resurrection, and I'm not going to emphasize that today because this whole chapter is about the resurrection, and we've got that in the coming weeks. But let me say this about the resurrection. I've got underlined in my Bible, most of whom are still living. This, this is the, the, the evidence for the resurrection is a massive evidence. Uh, 500 people who had seen Jesus raised from the dead and most of them at the time Paul is writing this letter is are still alive so th- th- this is better than a youtube video this is this is better than um th- this being tape recorded there were 500 people uh, in addition to the ones that are mentioned there that saw jesus who had died in in his Glorified, resurrected body. Some of those people were undoubtedly skeptics and and came to know Christ as they saw him. So the evidence for the resurrection is massive. At the time when Paul wrote this, there's 500 people. Some of them have died. And I love how the Bible, we don't tend to use this expression, I love how the Bible uh, describes a Christian dying. Do you see that there at the end of verse 6? What does it say? Asleep. Asleep. When we die, we are asleep because we are going to be resurrected one day like Jesus and we will be, our bodies and our souls will be united and will be glorified. We are asleep and there is a hope, there is a future, there is an eternity that is coming. All right, so the resurrection is is emphasized throughout this whole chapter, but what is of first importance is the gospel. Let's take a look uh, at it briefly on the screen here. Uh, just the way it has described, I just these words are just straight out of the text, and I'm talking here first about the historical facts of the gospel. That is what we have here, that Christ died. And it wasn't an ordinary death, He died for our sins. Christ died as our sin substitute. He didn't die like anyone else died. He died, He who knew no sin, Became sin on our behalf. He died for our sins. The punishment that you and I deserved was put upon him. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. This is referring to all sorts of Old Testament scriptures Isaiah 53, the most famous, the suffering servant. He died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, which predicted his death. And he was buried, and he was raised, and he appeared. This is the gospel right here. You don't need a tract, although that can be helpful. You don't need an article, if you, uh, some kind of book or article or something like that. If you want to share the gospel with someone, you can turn to many places in the Bible, but one of them is to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here are the historical facts of the gospel. Now, what I want to do in this sermon, going back to the quote from uh, Tim Keller earlier, is I want us to understand today that the gospel is multidimensional. That there are facts of the gospel, and that when we repent and believe the gospel, we are saved. But then there are also gospel themes. This is the other dimension of the gospel we're going to be looking at the remainder of the sermon. There are also gospel themes, And and these themes are what we are to align our life to. The gospel is not just the entry point to faith in Jesus and to life as God intended. It is that, but it is much more than that. The gospel is of first importance for a variety of reasons. The first one we're all familiar with. It redeems the lost. When we repent and believe, we are saved. And we begin our journey as God intended as one of his children. The gospel is of first importance because it redeems the lost. But now I want to move into the second dimension of the gospel and how the gospel is for everyday life. And the gospel is a a line, is a paradigm, is a blueprint for us to live out. This I think we have a way to go in understanding, at least I do. Maybe some of you are further along than myself. So let's come back to the text here and look at verses 8 through 11. So Paul gets personal now. He's reminding the Corinthian church and he's reminding us of what is of first importance the gospel and now he gets personal beginning in verse 8. and He's describing the resurrection appearance of Jesus and he says in verse 8, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. What he is saying here, he's just mentioned the apostles, James and the apostles, and now he's saying... Jesus also appeared to me, but I was not born or called to be an apostle like the other apostles. Paul didn't live with Jesus. He didn't drop his nets and, and leave everything behind and come and follow him and live with him day and night. He, he didn't do that. And yet Paul was an apostle. And so this is what he's referring to, his abnormal birth into apostleship. I wasn't like the twelve I'm kind of a unique apostle, the one who wrote the majority of the New Testament. He continues on. Look at verse 9. He says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul was a, a Jew who persecuted Christians and hated Christianity. He, he remembers this as he writes this. This is very personal. Verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I love that phrase. I don't have it underlined, but I need to underline that. You know, if we could all say this as Paul says it. Whatever I have attained, whatever gifts I have, whatever talents I have, whatever whatever money I have, whatever I am that is of any worth, whatever I am that is of any worth, I am what I am by the grace of God. Don't you want to say that? But pride gets in the way, doesn't it, of us saying this sort of thing? Paul recognizes the centrality of the gospel to his life and what he is, he is because of God's grace. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect, it changed him radically. The gospel is designed to change us radically. He goes on, he says, no, I worked harder than all of them, all the, the twelve, all the apostles. He's referring here to his missionary endeavors. And those of you familiar with the New Testament, you know how Paul was, found himself shipwrecked and beaten and traveled. The guy couldn't stay put. He was a missionary of missionaries. As soon as he would go to a place and some people would come to know the Lord, they would appoint elders, and he would move on to another place, he'd like, I've got to get out of this church and get a church started over there. So he's referring to how hard he worked compared to the other apostles and traveling the world as he knew it to spread the gospel. But uh, But even as he describes his hard work, he says, Uh, Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. That's how he was able to do that. Paul is exalting grace. He's exalting the gospel in the Lord. Verse 11, whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, this gospel, and this is what you believed. So we see in verses 8 through 11, we see that the gospel has made Paul a humble man. And that he is exalting grace. So, the second reason, and the first theme I'm going to talk about today, that the gospel is of first importance is that it makes makes us humble and it makes us exalt Jesus when we understand the gospel rightly. Humility is what we see in verses 8 through 11. We see this at the heart of. Jesus' work on the cross as well. Philippians 2.8 He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus humbled himself. The one who had no sin, who deserved no punishment, he humbled himself to the point of death and died on the cross for us. And so... If the gospel is of first importance because it redeems the lost. I think we understand that well. It also humbles the proud. It humbles the proud. This is what it's done with Paul. And this is what I'm praying it is doing with me and I'm praying that it is doing with you. Christian maturity looks like humility. It looks like Jesus who is willing to suffer for others. You know, one of the... Uh, People that I have seen humility in most clearly was a man named uh, Dean Koontz. Some of you may know the uh, famous author. Have you guys heard of a, he? Not that guy. Okay, so, so not him. Um, just, just being clear here, I'm not dr- name dropping. I don't even really know what all uh, he wrote and so on. But in our previous congregation, uh, a pastor came to our church and just showed up. He moved into the community. And he had been uh, retired. He had been serving the Lord in a church like twice as long as I had been alive. And he comes in and ends up coming on our, our staff. And I remember thinking, well, we're, I'm in the wrong spot here. You know, he should be the, the, the main guy here. But Dean didn 't have that perspective he, he he understood that he was who he was because of the grace of God and didn 't have this kind of worldly understanding that the person with the most experience needs to be the the main guy he he was ju- he is just the most humble of men so where i 'm going here is that the gospel is designed to uh, not only not only for, as the entry point to Christianity, but it is, there are these various gospel themes or contours or lines that we are to live out day in and day out, gospel themes. So to make this more clear, I want to jump over here to Galatians 2. Look at this on the screen with me. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, Paul says. I opposed him to a fa- his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Now be patient with me here. I'll get back to why we're going here in just a second about this gospel being of first importance. But let's, Let me just give a little background of what's, what's going on here if you're not familiar with this. So what's going on here is Peter, um, Peter is opposed by Paul. Paul is writing because Peter understood the gospel and understood that we are now free from the law and we don't have to uh, avoid certain foods and we're not ceremonially unclean if we eat bacon and so on and so forth. He understood these implications of the gospel, and so he is fellowshipping with Gentiles, and he is moving away from this racist and this Jewish supremacy sort of ideology that's at work. Peter, the apostle, has moved away from that. But when James shows up with his posse and his boys, they have gone back to this false teaching that yes, we have to believe in Jesus, But we also need to avoid these certain food and we actually are above and we need to bring the Gentiles into this Jewish kind of life. And so when Peter comes to Antioch, Paul opposes him in this. He says, this isn't right. The other Jews even even joined Peter in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Peter is the leader of the apostles. He has fallen away from one of these themes or lines of the gospel. He has embraced this legalistic Jewish supremacy sort of idea. And so, Paul writes, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish, Jewish customs? So what's, what he's getting at here at the end is you are a Jew, and yet you were living like a Gentile until all of these Judaizers, these people who say, yeah, we need to believe in Jesus, but we also need to avoid these certain foods, and we need to do all these Jewish customs. Once they show up, once they've showed up, now you're forcing the Gentiles to do this. And Paul is rebuking him to his face. All right, did you catch all that? Are you with me today? I get my first one in here. Are you with me? Okay. So you're with me. So the important, the reason I went here, was not necessarily to talk about this Judaizing controversy, but to talk about this line that I put in green, okay? that That Peter and these other Jewish Christians are not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. The gospel, again, is not just an entry point to the Christian life, But the gospel is a blueprint or a template or contours of how we are supposed to live. And they have abandoned, for a moment, Peter, the apostle, and these other guys have abandoned this contour, this line, this theme of the gospel. And we might describe this theme as grace. So there are many, many themes, many, many gospel themes. So humility... We see humility in what Jesus did in lowering himself and becoming a man and dying for our sins. Another theme of the gospel is grace. And what Paul saw that Peter was not doing was was living in in the line of grace, in the line of of compassion, in the line of showing the Jews that, that this isn't the way to live anymore. We have been living this way, but we now understand the freedom that we have in Christ. And so, the gospel is not just an entry point, but it is a guide for how we are to live our lives, humility, and grace. These are examples of gospel themes. And this is why the gospel is of first importance. So, we know that the gospel is of first importance because it redeems the lost. We know now also that it is of first importance because it humbles the proud. But now, jumping to Galatians 2 and trying to get us to understand that the gospel is more than an entry point, that's why I've gone to Galatians 2, is that the gospel reorients the sidetracked. We don't get sidetracked exactly the same way Peter got sidetracked. He got sidetracked falling back into Jewish customs and saying, "Yeah, we believe in Jesus, but you also need to do this and this and this, and we're going to stay away from you. We're going to we're superior to you until you come over here." The gospel reorients the sidetracked. So, you and I need to understand these various themes of the gospel. We need to be reminded of the gospel. That's why this is of first importance. That's why Paul begins in fifteen one. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of this gospel. Tim Keller, again, he writes this uh, out, of, out of Galatians uh, 2.14. He says, from this, Galatians 2.14, we see that the Christian life is a process of renewing every dimension of our life, spiritual, psychological, corporate, social, by thinking, hoping, and living out the lines or ramifications of the gospel. The gospel is to be applied to every area of thinking, feeling, relating, working, and behaving. The implications and applications of Galatians 2.14 or the implications and applications of living out gospel themes are vast. They are vast. I hope you can grab a hold of this today. I hope you are tracking with me today. I'm going to give you a, a concrete example here. If you're struggling, I'm not sure exactly what he's getting at. Let me give you a couple other themes. Gospel themes that are part of our everyday lives that we need to be reminding ourselves of. At the, another central theme of the gospel is the theme of love. The, the Father Loved us so much, loved the world, the cosmos, so much that he sent his only son to die for us. So love. What does Christian maturity look like? One way to answer that question is Christian maturity looks like you and I and Paul and Peter and the Corinthian church aligning their lives with these various themes of the gospel. Humility, grace, love, uh, repentance. Uh, another one of them uh, that is, is so common and, and one that the Lord has prompted me to speak about today is a is the theme of redemptive suffering. Jesus suffered on the cross, not in a meaningless way, but to redeem the world. And God allows trials and suffering into the lives of a Christian in a sovereign way in order to redeem us. Along the road, not to redeem us from salvation, not to redeem us from hell, as it were, not to redeem us from wrath, but to redeem us, to make us conform us more and more into the image of Jesus. So redemptive suffering is one of the themes of the gospel that we need to be in alignment with, that we need to be in line with. So here's, let me try and give you an example of, of what this looks like to be in line with the theme, the gospel theme of redemptive suffering. Um, I don't know if you've ever been around somebody, uh, I'm sure you probably have, uh, that is whooped. And this was a phrase uh, that we used in college when uh, two people fall in love and they are whooped, like you go and spend time with them and it's like you're not even there. Uh, you go out to uh, an evening with them and you're not even sure why you went because they are so enamored with one another. And I'm going to tell you a story now. I've done this before. I'm doing it again here. Kind of, you know, in, you see movies and they say based on true events. So I'm telling you a story now uh, kind of based on true events, a story I've made up. So I'll tell you uh, about, this is all uh, tied in with redemptive suffering. 20-year-old uh, college student will call her Betty, who is whooped. And she uh, is dreaming. She sees her future. She loves this guy. She can see the, the children, the house, the white picket fence. The engagement is coming. And she is just totally, totally whooped and totally in love. But around the corner, what comes, what she's expecting to come is Engagement. But instead, what comes around the corner is one of this guy's friends saying, you're done. The relationship is over. And she got dumped. She's done. She's a believer. He's a believer. And she spirals down into this tremendous discouragement and depression. She goes from like being whooped and just these are the two of the happiest people we ever known to just I I can't even eat, I can't get out of bed. She even got to the point where she's I'm not sure I can keep on going. She's suffering, but but there's no world gospel theme being seen here. There's nothing redemptive in what is going on in her life. She's in a very, very desperate place. Now, there's a godly woman that sees what is going on here and sees that she is out of alignment with this gospel theme of redemptive suffering. This woman is familiar with what the Bible teaches. For example, in James, this isn't a fun passage, but it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So this godly woman who sees uh, Betty, what she's going through, this suffering, and she's seeing that it's not redemptive. She, she knows it's going to be complicated for her to see what she needs to see. And so at first, she doesn't go and rebuke her like Paul did with Peter, for example, who's also out of alignment with the gospel theme of, of grace. I mean, Peter was the apostle and certain people, you just walk up to their faces and you just rebuke them, right? Maybe not. You ever done that? I mean, there's some people you just need to just walk up to their face and just rebuke them. This is not one of those scenarios, the one that this 20-year-old young woman is in. She needs someone to come alongside her and weep with her and love her. But over the course of time, she needs someone to show her that even this trial, Jesus wants to redeem and he is bigger than what has happened to you. And this woman is able to show her what looked like this tremendous relationship was actually idolatry. You were actually excessively attached to that guy in the place of Jesus. Your relationship wasn't under the lordship of Jesus, but Jesus was under the lordship of your relationship. The functional God that you had that you didn't even see was that man that you love so much. And this more mature woman walks her along and and helps her to see that this trial is there to to, to show her how much she desperately needs Jesus and she needs to come in alignment with this is not something we welcome, this is a trial and I'm suffering, but Jesus wants me to persevere and to become more like Him through this terrible situation. And so she gradually moves out of her depression and she moves out of her not wanting to eat food and she moves out of all of these things and she gets to a place of hope and of joy. And she got there because of a woman coming alongside of her and helping her see what it looks like to live out a multidimensional gospel. A gospel that sees that Jesus suffered to redeem the world. And guess what? We don't like this truth, but our suffering and trials that we encounter are part of his process to shape us into the men and women that he wants us to be. So the gospel is of first importance, not just because it redeems the lost, it also humbles the proud, and then very broadly, it reorients the sidetracked from wherever we are repentance is another one of these themes wherever we get sidetracked the gospel is helpful in bringing us back produce fruit in keeping with repentance i'm just in the last few moments here i'm just just trying to give you a few more themes so that you have an understanding part of this message comes out of uh, discussions and conversations i've had with my wife because she's like i just what, what does it mean to live out the gospel? You talk about displaying the gospel. You say the gospel this, the gospel that. What does it mean? I'm trying to help us see what it means to live out the gospel and why it is of first importance. Hope is another one of the themes tied to resurrection. The, the historical facts of the gospel, Jesus was raised. A theme of the gospel is connected to resurrection, the theme of hope. We see this in the word "asleep" here in 1 Corinthians 15. Finally, we'll uh, close here with uh, another quote from Tim Keller. He says, The key to continual and deeper spiritual renewal and revival is continual rediscovery of the gospel, reminding ourselves not, not only of the historical facts of the gospel, but all of these themes and bringing our lives in a line with it through the power and the grace of God. Let's bow our heads and pray Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for loving us so much to send your son. Lord, I pray that you would increasingly give us eyes to see the multi-dimensionality of the gospel. That Christian maturity is not just filling our, our brains with Bible knowledge or making it to church every Sunday, although those things are important but, Lord, that we would be men and women, boys and girls, that bring our lives in line with the truths, with the themes, with the blueprint of the gospel. We ask that you would make us a humble people. We ask that you would give us eyes to see the trials and sufferings that come into our lives. Help us not to reject you because of them, but to more desperately seek your face, and be changed more and more, day by day, moment by moment, into the image of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.